Oh, my God. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Bye. 
Now don't forget, up is the 
باز خواب خاخ ما به سوی رسخص رحلی شو
That is unusual. I am not sure how we have two songs playing at the same time from the same source. That is pretty remarkable, frankly. Anyway, welcome to a Friday morning Erev Shabbos here at JM the AM. That is really something. Literally the same laptop is playing two songs at once. That is pretty remarkable. Friday morning Erev Shabbos. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's JM in the AM on a Friday. Uh, Michal Przanski had Pia Pascha. You heard Rishavu Vanim done by Achenu. David Gabe's Yomze Avinu. That was Yaakov Shweki. Avremo with Keep Climbing. Mayadidos from the Werdiger family. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this October the 23rd, day five in the month of Mar Cheshvan, the year 5781. Tough Shin Pei Olive. It's Erev Noach with candle lighting time at 5.43 on this era of Shabbos, 5.43, which means our final hour, brought to you by our wonderful friends at Kedem and produced by Mark Zamek, is going to start at about a quarter to five later on today uh, with incredible music. Uh, we'll bench Bahab this Shabbos. Monday starts Bahab. If you're not familiar with that, consult with your local rabbi. 63 degrees, mostly cloudy, and a high temperature of 68. Tonight, cloudy skies, a low 61, and tomorrow, mostly cloudy, and a high of 70 degrees. Yushalayim is at 84. We're at 63 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Malcolm Holine an hour from now. He's Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will join us coming up on uh, uh, for the weekly update at about 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time this morning. So get set for that. Try to get into the uh, news items of the week. Lots to talk about, even though the um, the two, well, I shouldn't say the two combatants, the uh, the moderator in last night's debate obviously felt that there was a, uh, a need to spend another half hour on the whole COVID-19 mask and, uh, and the vaccine situation. Wasn't enough with the prior debates and town halls. So they didn't really get to too many other substantive matters, but we'll discuss all that with Malcolm Holmline coming up later on here. 
at JM in the AM. Friday morning broadcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Here's Mordechai Ben David.
Didya Mayer and company wrapping up the 6 a.m. hour for us here at JM in the AM. Mayadidus is the name of that one. Vaharenu done by Yoni Jakubovic before that here at JM in the AM. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Kali, it's on the background. There are news from Israel coming up. Malcolm Holmline and the weekly update at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. Modern, better-for-you kosher products, including no nitrate added, Reduced fat and reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. Visit the website, kosherdogs.net, and try A&H today. J.M. in the A.M. with um, Galaitan in the background. Rabbi Yudin coming up at uh, 8.15. We're having a problem with uh, Harry Rothenberg's file, so... We're not going to be able to air that in the 7 o'clock hour this week. Apologies for that. We'll try to get to it again next week here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting at 543 on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Noach. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday. Erev Shabbos follows next. We say Boker Toe from JM in the AM. 
גלי צהל השעה שתיים, צהריים טובים, כאן גוני כהן עם מה שקורה עכשיו. חשד לרצח בנתניה. גבר כבן שישים נמצא בדירה ברחוב ישראל זנגוויל בעיר כשהוא דקור ומותו נקבע במקום. כתבתנו הדס שטייף מוסרת שכוחות משטרה הוזעקו לזירה ונסיבות האירוע נבדקות. חמאס מפעיל זה שנתיים מטה סודי ללוחמת סבר, סייבר ולמבצעים מודיעיניים בטורקיה, כך דיווח הבוקר עיתון הטיימס הבריטי, מפי מקורות מודיעיניים במערב. לפי הפרסום המקורות טוענים כי המטה הוקם באיסטנבול בנפרד מהמוסדות הרשמיים של הארגון בעיר, העוסקים בעיקר בתיאום ובמימון, ובמקביל הלילה הכריזה גואטמלה על חיזבאללה כארגון טרור, והחליטה לאסור על כניסת פעיליו לשטחה ולהיאבק במימונו, כמו כן. אתמול קיבלה ממשלת אסטוניה החלטה דומה. בבית החולים סורוקה בבאר שבע נקבע מותה של הפעוטה בת השנה שטבעה בשבת האחרונה בגיגית מים בביתה בכפר רעס ג'ברה של יד דימונה. ידיעה שהעביר כתבנו בדרום רמי שני. המשטרה פיזרה אמש חתונה שנערכה בניגוד להנחיות הקורונה בהשתתפות כ-300 אורחים ביער בן שמן. השוטרים שהגיעו למקום הבחינו בחתונה מאורגנת הכוללת שולחנות אוכל, תזמורת ומסיבת ריקודים צפופה, כשחלק מהאורחים לא מקפידים על עטיית מסיכה ועל שמירת מרחק. במהלך הפיזור ניפץ אחד האורחים את חלונות ניידת המשטרה, הוא נעצר ונלקח לחקירה. הזמר והיוצר שלומי שבת השתחרר מבית החולים בילינסון לאחר אשפוז של שלושה שבועות בשל הידבקות בקורונה. מבית החולים נמסר כי מצבו טוב. כתבתנו שרון לויט מוסרת ששבת בן ה-66 הודה בחום לצוותים הרפואיים ואמר קיבלתי תמיכה מאלפי אנשים שחיזקו את רוחי ואני שולח לכולכם תודה ומחכה לרגע שאחזור לבמה. בריאות שלמה, מזג האוויר חם מהרגיל עד שרבי, אלה החדשות.
JM and the AM, the um, New York Boys Choir with Tovla Hodos here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Well, I want to thank um, I want to thank uh, the Rosenbaum Financial Services taxcpa 2com uh, Ralph Rosenbaum. Thank you. I want to thank Ron Bloomberg. Thank you, Boomer. I want to thank Steve Adelsberg, who was in his Warren Spahn 1950s era jersey last night. Ralph was in his uh, full Yankee regalia, appropriately so. <laughs> and um, a lot of great moments last night. I want to thank everybody who participated. A lot of great moments during our Zoom session with Ron Bloomberg, our open mic session presented by the Nahum Siegel Network, uh, including some great stories that were told by fans who were uh, – directly affected by Ron Bloomberg 50 years ago. And I'm talking about 50 years ago. So thank you, Ronnie. And uh, everybody should get the book designated Hebrew. And uh, thanks to everybody who participated. A lot of things going on last night between the debate and the uh, giant game and everything else. And we had a phenomenal crowd, a phenomenal crowd, participating in our Zoom session with the uh, designated Hebrew himself, the world's first designated hitter. And uh, Jewish pride of the Yankees, Ron Bloomberg, was really nice. Really nice. I just sent the video to Chief of Staff Yigal Siegel. Uh, I hope he'll watch it before Shabbos in Israel and give me an assessment of what he thought. <laughs> because uh, I'd, li- I'd like a somewhat objective point of view about how the night went, frankly. Tariff Shabbos Parshas Noah, candle lighting at 543 on this Friday morning. Mazel Tov going out. To Jonathan Markowitz. Jonathan Markowitz is an amazing nephew. Really, really nice young man, to say the least. And uh, his Ufruf celebration is tomorrow. And we say Mazal Tov. Jonathan, Mazal Tov to you. Mazal Tov, of course, to uh, Cheryl and Dr. Mendy Markowitz and the entire family. Mazal Tov to the Bensons. Avital, the Kala, this coming Sunday is an absolutely wonderful young lady. And uh, the two of them will be getting married, Jonathan and Avital, this coming Sunday, please God. And to the Markowitz and Benson families, we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. And um, again, looking forward to a wonderful Ufruf celebration. 63 degrees, mostly cloudy, and a high temperature of 60. Don't forget, we are trying very hard to get jobs for people. Resume at NahumSiegel.com. You're invited literally to send your resume to uh, to us, resume at NahumSiegel.com. Uh, get that resume to us, please. I hope you will. And um, anything in the Jewish not-for-profit professional realm goes to our friends at the Joel Paul Group. Everything else, we try our hardest to find a shidduch, so to speak. Resume at NahumSiegel.com. Avi Delavante, Nissim Black. J.M. in the A.M.
Je t'aime en Jérusalem La gloire, tu la portes en toi Mais toi, on te Shines bright, the free town. Ain't a fire in a world like this, so we pray for the city with a fire on our lips. Yerushalayim, we see all the other lands truly need thee. Whether or not an embassy, sympathetic empathy will bring us to a greater peace. Uh, Cause we're the glory of the East, God's greatest gift runs deeper than the sea. Love and justice and truth we preach, even on a shorthand we still reach.
JM in the AM Friday morning broadcast. Erev Shabbos. How you doing, everybody? Yaakov Shweki with Smechem Bitzetam. Eli Deutsch had Hineanochi. Nishmas with Sustral Werdiger. Brand new Avi DeLevante and Nisim Black. Peace in the world. And Topla Hodos was done by the New York Boys Choir. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parsh is Noach. Candle lighting at 543. Malcolm Honeline weekly update about 10 minutes away. Yeah, candle lighting at 543. Keep that in mind. I say it like that because uh, it's getting earlier. It is getting earlier. Make sure you know when, uh, when Shabbos starts where you are, as they say, or as we say. <laughs> um. But yeah, candle lighting is 543 on this era of Shabbos. By the way, that means that the uh, one hour before Shabbos show, the final hour of the week, begins about a quarter to four, excuse me, a quarter to five Eastern time. Uh, done by Mark Zomik, presented by our friends at Kedem. Uh, it's an amazing addition to our schedule, the final hour of the week. And someone actually commented during the era of Shabbos show this morning, because Mark put together yet another phenomenal Erev Shabbos show, this time for Parshas Noach. Someone commented on the app. Where is it? Um, trying to see here where it is. Uh, good. Oh, it was Trucker Yitz. Trucker Yitz writes, uh, won't be raining this weekend where I am. A, a Noach reference, of course. Uh, have a great day. The hour before the show started was fantastic music. Now, that's the final hour of the Erev Shabbos show. Uh, which airs between 10 and 1 today, and then it airs um, uh, generally on Thursday night and early Friday morning. So the hour that Yitz is talking about is the one you'll hear in the noon hour today. But then again, the final hour will feature a whole bunch of great music at about a quarter to five Eastern time later on. Uh, someone wanted to hear David Gabe's Yom Zemachubad. We did that earlier, and the Nissan Black song is uh, uh, Peace in the World. That's the name of that one, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, just taking care of some of the uh, app comments here. At the JM in the AM. Um, visit partnersintorah.org and arrange to become a mentor for someone who wants to learn more about our heritage. It's easier than you think. 1-800-STUDY-42. 1-800-STUDY, the number four, and the number two. Log on, partnersintorah.org. Again, become a mentor for someone, or if you'd like to learn more and become a student, feel free to do that as well. Partnersintorah.org. 1-800-STUDY-42. I uh, want to wish a mazel tov. Jonathan Markowitz has his big off-roof this Shabbos to Cheryl and Dr. Mendy Markowitz, to the uh, wonderful Weintraub family, and not just the extended family, but uh, grandparents, Gail and Itzy Weintraub, the world's number one uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law. We say mazel tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. And, of course, to the Benson family and the Markowitz family. We're getting ready for Avital and Jonathan's wedding this coming Sunday, please God. And we say mazal tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. I saw the weather for Sunday. Wow. The way it's, the way it's described on weather.com, it's like the perfect day Sunday. So Bezrat Hashem, that's how it'll be. And uh, we should have a wonderful celebration. So mazal tov from all of us here at the JM in the AM. And uh, we are getting set for a wonderful uh, Markowitz, Benson, Weintraub, Siegel, and many other families' <laughs> celebration this coming Sunday. And uh, Mazel Tov to Jonathan on his Ufruf coming up uh, tomorrow. 
really wonderful. Friday morning broadcast, JM and the AM. I want to thank everybody involved from Rosenbaum Financial Services, TaxCPA2.com, uh, to um, Ron Bloomberg, to Steve Adelsberg, to David Fishoff, to the listeners who had some great, great stories yesterday for Ron Bloomberg. We had a wonderful session last night, a Zoom session, an NSN presentation of Open Mic with the uh, great Yankee legend Ron Bloomberg. And again, a big thank you to everybody. A wonderful crowd, a great um, a conversation. Uh, if you wanted to, if you wanted to see a really enthusiastic person in his seventies talk about Major League Baseball, that was Ron Bloomberg last night, and uh, it was really a wonderful, uh, a wonderful and unique experience to say the least. And I'm glad for anybody who was there. Thank you very, very much. Much appreciated. JM and the AM, a reminder, we are asking everybody to participate in our fall 2020 fundraiser. And one of the things we've been we've been touting is to become a monthly donor to the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting. When one gives uh, a 36 a month, uh, which comes out to a drop more than a dollar a day uh, for the programming and content that we provide every single day, uh, you are making a wonderful commitment, helping us tremendously, and um, and assuring that we can uh, keep on going. And I've mentioned that, ge- and in general, if you can't do the monthly uh, don, if you can't make a monthly donation, certainly we're not discouraging you at all from making a one-time donation at fjbunity.org. Fjbunity.org. And um, we have described, and you'll see it in the letter that's up there on the website, fjbunity.org, we have described just how difficult this period of time has been. We've had such a tremendous boom of listenership over the last few months. I think for obvious reasons, COVID has caused people to uh, get more involved in community and and connect as much as possible. And, And for a while there, we were the only way that people could connect with others, frankly. So um, we've had a boom of listenership, but we've also had a, uh, a difficult strain on some of our revenue streams, most notably the one uh, that we benefit from when we travel. And we have sponsored shows from around the world, especially Israel, and obviously that whole piece has been taken away from us over the last seven months. So whatever you could do to help us out, if you're, if you're enjoying a Friday morning Erev Shabbos, if you enjoyed last night's Ron Bloomberg presentation, if you're enjoying the great music during the week, if you're enjoying our Divrei Torah, if you're enjoying the news that's going to be done on steroids in about five minutes because we're going to do our weekly update, if you enjoy our conversations about news, if you have a um, uh, an affinity toward our Friday morning broadcasts in general, uh, which get everybody into the mood for Shabbos, if you're one of those people that has the Nahum Single Network on all day today, which is what we suggest because... We are the soundtrack for an era of Shabbos with amazing music and an incredible era of Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. If you're into any of the things I just mentioned, then please be as generous as you can. Please. It's a um, it's an important time for us uh, to get as much support as possible for our fall fundraiser. So it's fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and we thank you. Um... One of our listeners, listener Michael, pointed out, first of all, he reminded me that uh, daylight savings time is gone in Israel. Uh, Is it tomorrow night? Is it tomorrow night? I think it's tomorrow night. So Israel is switching to standard time. 
Israel is switching the standard time, which means on Monday when we're here at JM in the AM, uh, it'll be a six-hour difference between the New York time zone. Yeah, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, uh, Israel switches to standard time. So it'll be a six-hour difference between us and Israel. And um, that will go back to seven hours when we go to standard time. But Israel tomorrow night is going to daylight savings time. Now, Michael says to me in the message regarding uh, the daylight savings time, he says that um, a tidbit for you, Saturday night is Zion Mar Cheshvan, which means that in Israel they start saying the same Talumotar. Interestingly, it always happens the week after Parshas Noach, which is funny, right? The same Talumotar and Noach, the flood and all that. Anyway, uh, the same night Israel switches to standard time. Perhaps surprisingly, it's the first time since 1948 that these have coincided because the current setup of switching to standard time on the last Sunday in October has only been in place the last seven years. So uh, that's why... Uh, it, that's why this coincidence has uh, happened only now in uh, 2020. So the 7th of Mar Cheshvan is tomorrow night in Israel. They start saying the same Talamutar in Israel tomorrow night. We're, we're going to do that in December. And again, daylight savings time ends in Israel. Standard time begins tomorrow night, 2 a.m. Keep that in mind. Aish is next at JM in the a.m.
Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos with candlelighting in New York at 543 on this Erev Shabbos Parsha's Noach. I want to thank our friends at jewishworldreview.com. If you want an opportunity to print out thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world before Shabbos, go to jewishworldreview.com and do just that. Again, you'll see a tremendous uh, number of resources uh, regarding Israel and the Jewish world. jewishworldreview.com. Check it out today. Reminder, daylight savings time ends in Israel tomorrow night. So starting Sunday, it'll be a six-hour difference for a couple of weeks, a six-hour difference between the New York time zone and Israel. That's right. You can call people later in the day, and uh, and <laughs> there's less of a chance of you waking them up. Um, uh, so six-hour uh, difference uh, sets in on uh, Sunday night, or I should say more accurately tomorrow night, and um, that'll be uh, it, it'll be like that until we go back to seven hours when we head to standard time in just a couple of weeks from now. Uh, I want to remind everybody that the um, uh, we are trying our hardest to help with uh, getting employment for people out there. Feel free to send us your resume, resume at nachomsegel.com, resume at nachomsegel.com. Anything in the Jewish not-for-profit professional realm gets passed on to the Joel Paul group. Everything else, we try our best to find a match, an employer. Um, so send it to resume at nachomsegel.com. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM and the AM. It's good to be with you always. I appreciate that. I'm I'm getting, I mean, I'm sure you you will not find surprising. After all, you know me pretty well for the last three decades. I'm getting a little bit uh, tired of this pre-election process. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm actually happy that it's 11 days away and not 11 months away. The fatigue has officially set in in the Siegel home, let's put it that way. Uh, and, and frankly, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but I, I, watched, the de- I watched the debate. I feel like I have to. And, and skipping the, the whole discussion about the tone of the debate, it never seems to me they're getting to substantive issues and that they're responding, which is the fault of the moderator, and that they're responding in substantive ways, which is the fault of the candidates. Uh, you and I discussed last week the whole foreign policy discussion, how it's not a discussion right now. Last night was supposed to be 
more of that. Don't you feel that they they ba- they barely hit the tip of the iceberg? I don't really feel it. I think it was quite obvious, and uh, there may be reasons. I, I doubt that it is because people have no interest in it. I mean, how many times can they hear the same thing about sitting around the kitchen table and worrying, or, or and worrying about whether there is there isn't a a, a vaccine right. coming? Right. And um, you know, hearing the even though it was a much more moderated tone and uh, I think more informative than the, the last one. Uh, still, I don't think it, it makes a substantive difference. The moderator tried. I think she did a relatively good job, and I think the candidates um, at times, you know, acquitted themselves with it. But by and large, it, it it isn't providing the information about what are the challenges that we face domestically and internationally, because everything ends up being uh, accusatory. Yeah, and and you don't know who to believe, and I guess that's the case in every election. I get that. But, you know, you don't know which candidate really has the right perspective on North Korea. I noticed in the news that there's now a new deal between North Korea and Iran, correct? There are new deals in North Korea and Iran. Well, we don't know if it's a new deal or it's an extension of an old deal. But the North Koreans have remained active with the Russians and with the Iranians. And remember, we always talked about, and I reported on the fact that Iranians were present when the North Koreans did tests of their, uh, both their missiles and the nuclear program. And the uh, North Koreans were in Iran. Uh, they they clearly have a synergistic relationship, and the missiles that Iran is developing was based on the Nodong uh, missile, and they just. Um, uh, launched again uh, a long-range um, um, uh, missile that they tested. So you have uh, the embargo now being lifted on Iran. So we will see much more right. about what goes on. You know, there was a 25-year deal between China and Iran, and they're selling the, them stuff. But the uh, but the North Koreans are part in terms of providing weaponry and technology, which they get in exchange for oil. Uh, and that included the Hwasong, uh, which is a mobile ballistic missile and has a 4,500-kilometer range. So just look at a map, and people will understand why that's yeah. particularly significant. My, and again, and you're, you don't, you're not required to be my sounding board for my frustration with the debates and this whole process, but wouldn't that have been a really good question as opposed to, is the head of North Korea crazy or not a nice guy? Wouldn't it have been a better idea to pose a question like there is now a deal and a relationship that's really serious between Iran and North Korea how's the US going to react you know to, to the way they do business together that just would have been a lot more substantive frankly I I gotta be a moderator they gotta hire me to be the moderator that that's the answer and they did not talk even about the strengths you know the creation of Snoop the quad in uh, to, to confront China the fact that we have right. India uh, Australia Japan the United States working together, you know, there's going to be this exercise called Malabar that they do. It's a huge naval exercise in India. Now Australia just uh, was announced this week that they were invited back after a decade more that they weren't there, and that it's uh, clearly a message to China, which is in a confrontation with India and the Himalayas, and both are accusing each other of violations, but it looks like the, the Chinese may have uh, had an incursion into India. But it's an accomplishment. It's getting these four uh, Pacific uh, democracies to work together creates uh, a front. And so even the positive achievements didn't get the attention 
which would have helped highlight some of the serious issues. And anybody listening for the last five minutes just learned a lot more about U.S. foreign policy than anybody who tuned in last night to the debate, frankly. Uh, you know more than most about how Russia operates and Iran operates. I mean, now U.S. intelligence is talking about them inter- both interfering in the current election. Number one, does it matter? And number two, is, is it believable? Is it possible that they, from from that distance, and likely with with a lot of disinterest, I would think, in terms of who the next president is, is it really possible that these are credible uh, reports about the two countries interfering in our election? Yeah, it's, of course, credible. They're interfering all the time. They're interfering in businesses. They they can hijack uh, bitcoins. They can, um, um, you know, spread rumors. And, and having seen some of the dark web, and it's the most frightening thing possible, but when you see how much Iran is doing, for instance, on anti-Semitism, they got out of the political realm because everybody accuses everybody else and saying this is not true, this is not true. I saw it myself. They produce thousands of websites spreading anti-Semitic messages. They can they can infiltrate what a, what a particular institution, a message that goes out, or put it under somebody else's name and send it out. There's so much manipulation in in terms of the internet of how it can be used. It can be used by criminals. Uh, you're not surprised when they um, somehow rob a bank account, right, by over the internet or right. something, or disrupt the company. So why shouldn't it apply in the political realm? Are there interferers who are pro Biden and other interferers who are pro Trump? Like, is there a, a battle of the interferences going on behind the scenes? I think both are anti-American. Uh, whoever is involved in, in undermining American democracy, and what, I don't think they're pro anything except uh, what what they feel serves their purposes, or to disrupt the, the, the political process to undermine American democracy. That's what their goal is. Um, going to Israel for a second with the uh, current situation with the coronavirus. So it was uh, seventy-two thousand positive cases back on October second per day, and now they're talking about under. 20,000. Obviously, things are calming down a bit. Nobody knows what to anticipate in the next couple of months because we have we just have no idea with the weather change and with the uh, the fact that, you know, when things open up, things seem to, you know, to, to spike uh, upward. Um, is Israel now, in your opinion, beyond the whole complete lockdown philosophy? And no matter what, they're going to continue to slowly reopen? They have to reopen because the economic demands and the situations where... Um it is allowed. There will be areas where the situation is worse. It is true they're down to below 20,000, and the number of serious cases uh, was below 600 after it hit 900 in the beginning of October. Um, there are still 300 or 250 people on um, ventilators, and uh, unfortunately, about 2,300 people lost their lives. So it's not it's not over. Uh, but I think that the lockdown and the way it was carried out seemed to have helped to reduce the numbers and reduce interaction. Uh, but as uh, as we know, the, the toll is very high. It has to be administered smartly. We have to find ways that schools and, and businesses can reopen, even if it's slowly and controlled, so that you don't reactivate it. We see in Europe it's raging in many countries that boasted that they had been past it. Now they admit they're in a second wave, maybe a third wave. They don't know. Look at the Midwest, the United States, and other areas where uh, record numbers are, are, are of people are getting ill. Um, we see more young people getting ill. So those who, who, who dismiss it or think this is being it's waning or uh, under control, it's not under control. We learn more about it. The hospitals know better how to treat it. But 
still have a, a raging virus. And, and we don't know if it mutates. We don't know what the next step will be. And we don't know how soon that vaccine is going to be available. But I thought it was a positive sign when we when I saw the uh, uh, members of state government start talking about the, the need to have a plan in place already. Uh, because they are anticipating, and again, I don't know if November 3rd is, you know, going to all of a sudden change the timetable. <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, the election could be over and all of a sudden we hear that there's a you know vaccine available immediately. Um, but uh, but, but they're, at, at least they are thinking about how to distribute this thing as quickly as possible and how to make sure that, that every American, I assume in Israel it's the same situation there with every Israeli, uh, are going to be able to get it as soon as possible. So at least if that plan is in place, you'd have to hope that uh, that there is um, that there is hope that this vaccine will be out sooner rather than later. I pray because uh, I'll tell you if things if, if there is a third wave, whatever you want to call it, and things continue to you know to to drop and then you know spike upward, especially as the weather gets worse. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. I mean, I, I know we were talking about Israel a, a moment ago, but here in this country, there are state governments, as we saw r- locally, that you know have this desire. Uh, when they hit certain numbers to to start closing things down again, and I don't know how much the U.S. economy and how many and how U.S. citizens are going to tolerate this anymore. Uh, and I get the you know the importance of saving lives and saving those who are most vulnerable, but it, it it's worrisome that as you know that if numbers are going to again start to go upward, who knows what type of restrictions we're going to be under again. Anyway, um, true, we don't know, and we we. Um, you know, we speculate, but uh, when human life is involved, because Nefesh should take tough stands, and that's why people have to comply, and everybody listening can talk in their schools, in their communities, in whoever they talk to, Jews and non-Jews alike, that there's got to be full compliance. Look, no, mask or not, uh, um, people are skeptical and people raise questions. But clearly, it makes a difference, and it makes a difference if we socially separate, and it makes a difference if people wash and if they take the other precautions that make a difference. And still, people are skeptical about it. We have no right. You haven't got the privilege of skepticism right now. We've got to do whatever is necessary and proven to address this. Do you think it's too cynical to, to suggest that November 3rd may, ha- may bring a drastic change to the whole attitude or— it's just, I guess, I guess we'll know eleven days from now, huh? Right. I mean, this is it politicized? Is there, you know, uh, permeate, permeating the whole effort? You know, every day, the charges, counter charges, and stuff. The focus has to be on one thing: find a cure, and in the meantime, implementing the steps necessary in a reasonable and smart way. Which means that businesses uh, can be open if they follow the rules. We see the harassment of businesses in Borough Park and Flatbush and other areas. I mean, really undue and unfair, and they, they, they skip restaurants that were not kosher, not Jewish, and go to a small store next door, which had nobody in it. They have repeated cases, and even comments made by some of these uh, inspectors is a very troubling, and, and I think that the uh, officials have to um, be very judicious in the way, and and it has to be done in an equitable way. When there are neighborhoods which have higher numbers than some of the red zones, then that they have to explain what the why this inequity. Is it? Uh, can you explain, or is it smart for Israel to be treating someone who's known as an enemy um, in an Israeli hospital? I know it's an old issue because it's happened before, but in this case, it's Saab Erekat. We were somewhat surprised to hear that he's undergoing treatment at Hadassah Hospital. 
Well, he asked to go to to the Israeli hospital, and this is the guy who led the BDS, who who urged that Palestinians, and in fact restricted, they restricted Palestinians from going to Israeli hospitals. Yet he and his family uh, want to go, and I'm sure that if uh, he doesn't make it, uh, they will blame the Israeli hospital. <laughs> but but as uh, has been said many times in the past, when young Israelis risk their lives to save Arabs in Syria or children and to, to go into other hostile places to, to do it, why Hamas's leadership, fam- their families have been treated in Israeli hospitals all along while they're boycotting and, and uh, carrying out rocket attacks. It's because that's what Jews do, and we don't look at who the person is, if they can save a life and if they can treat them. Um, and you hope that the world will see, which they won't, and they certainly won't uh, appreciate um, what Israel is doing. Uh, but you don't turn it. Uh, doctors would, and, and Israeli hospitals would not turn away a person because the political views. Pretty amazing. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and NahumSingle.com, and the Single Network, and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. Uh, you mentioned Europe and uh, and Israel, and obviously we touched in the United States. Is, is there any difference now in places like Jordan and Iran in terms of the COVID numbers? Has anything drastically changed in those countries? Look, I don't know that we get real numbers from many countries, Um but I have not seen any reports of a dramatic change in the, in the situation. They do. They have engaged in lockdowns uh, in a number of those countries. But um, you don't see, I'm sure, enforcement of masks in Iraq and Syria, you know, where the conflict and numbers are very high in many countries, especially in Iran. Uh, it's been high in Turkey. It's been high in other uh, places. But I don't think that, you know, we're getting uh, accurate figures uh, we know that it's it's non-discriminatory. It attacks everybody. That's for sure. Um, is it true that Hariri is going to be back as prime minister of Lebanon? Is it possible? It's possible. But right now, Lebanon is so uh, disrupted that uh, they can't put together a government. Uh, they've tried several people as prime minister, uh, and especially after the bombings and, and the explosion at the port, the economic conditions there are horrific. The currency is collapsing. The economy is collapsing. Um, the uh, resentment of Hezbollah is is growing, uh, and the internal divisions. And remember that Hezbollah has to approve whoever becomes prime minister. And the, right now, they need to get Western aid. They need to show a different face because of the isolation that Lebanon faces. And that's the reason why they're in the talks with Israel, it's not direct. They have an intermediary, the American ambassador in Algeria, I think. Uh, but it's because the, the, the total is ready to drill, and it means a lot, a lot of money. But they make clear this is not normalization, and it's not anything beyond that. But it's necessary. I'm sure Hezbollah is very unhappy that, that the Lebanon and Israel are talking in any form or even sitting in the same room in any form. Um, so... Um, you know, realities are driving it, and the people, the alienation from Hezbollah. When you look in the Arab world today, there's a study that was done of young Arabs, and it showed that more than half in every country want to leave, want to leave the country, and even higher in Lebanon. The only country that where it wasn't true was the UAE. Uh, where the majority want to stay because they have new opportunities and they see the horizons that are, are possible. There is another remarkable change, and that is that the 75% of, of 
uh, Saudis said that they could see normalization within five years. And in countries like Jordan, Egypt, elsewhere, where always the numbers showed 90% against Israel, um, about two-thirds say that they favor normalization. Hmm. Now, whether this will sustain or it's just a moment or, you know, whatever, it's not done by Israeli polls. It's done by, uh, I think, Zagby uh, pollsters. Uh, but but it is an indication, and it's a result when you change textbooks, when you change the attitude, and the impact of the Abraham Accords is clearly uh, pervasive, and people are saying, look, they're, they're going to benefit. Look how happy they all are about it. And unlike the Jordan and Egypt deals, it, there's celebration in the street. There are trade delegations going back and forth. There are already deals being negotiated. They're talking about 28 weekly flights between Israel and the UAE, between the different airlines, uh, Israeli and, and Etihad and um, Emirat Air. The um, it, it's really um, uh, uh, the, and now the Sudan getting very close uh, to negotiations and they that they settled settled the three hundred thirty five million dollars for the terrorism thing. We have to see how Congress will handle it. But the um, but there was a, two senior Israeli diplomats there this week. There are things that are extending uh, um, in other areas as well. I mean, some were cynical when they looked at it as if you could buy your way off of a terror list. I mean, what, what was the what, what was the, the the linkage between the financial compensation and how you know uh, the United States views Sudan as a terror country? Or well, terrorist? because it's, Sudan was put on the terrorism uh, state sponsors of terror list. It, this has to do with the Al Qaeda attacks on the U.S. embassies in Kenya, Tanzania, the coal attack in 2000, um, and. Um, and this restricts their ability to get aid and, and trade, et cetera. So the payment and settling that and and acknowledging and pledging not to support anymore, the big turning point was really in 2013 when the big warehouse, which I remember when we reported because it happened just shortly before, the day before we went on the air, was bombed in, in uh, Khartoum, the capital, where Iran had been uh, Placing huge quantities of weapons, which they were shipping to to Gaza, to to the Sinai against Egypt, Gaza against Israel, and after that explosion, the government sort of uh, cut Iran out, stopped them from using Khartoum as the way station for the shipment of weapons, and um, and since then we've seen some progressions. There was a change in prime ministers, and you know it's not the most stable country. They also were caught in the in that conflict over the Nile, where Ethiopia is building a dam, and that involves Egypt, etc. And the they they have um, they've also I think sent troops to to help in Yemen. So there is a gradual transition, and uh, taking them off the terrorism list would be the reward for them complying, and I think part of it will be for them to join the uh, Abraham Accords. And what did you mean by the way Congress is going to handle it? Well, we don't. There's a lot of anti-Sudan uh, sentiment, and maybe because they don't want to have another deal before the election, or maybe because they uh, have legitimate doubts, but the uh, it's not a certainty that Congress will approve taking them off the terrorism list mm-hmm. just based on these actions. And you mentioned the the Saudis earlier, and you know, I mean, is is it important who stays in power in the United States for all this to happen? And I say it like that because, 
if you look at the uh, Jordan Egypt deals, obviously mm-hmm. obviously brokered by the U.S. Now, if you look at the most recent Abraham Accords, you know, obviously brokered, sponsored, hosted by whatever you want to call it, the Trump administration. Uh, but we do know that you know that there are you know there are candidates running now who are not uh, who are who who view foreign policy and Israel differently than some of their predecessors, even in the same party. Is, is it possible that a Saudi deal could be stalled if the wrong candidate wins this election? Well, I actually think the opposite. Um, but first, the, I don't think anybody's going to undo the Abraham Accords. It has been saluted by President, by Vice President Biden, and certainly it's President Trump's uh, administration's achievement. Um, but I believe that if it, that the Arabs are committed to this direction, for one thing, but it may enhance it. If they feel that America is not going to be there and it's not going to have a strong presence against Iran, or against the Islamic Jihad, or against Turkey, which they see now as an equal threat, something I've been saying here for years, and right. talked to them about, and they were originally skeptical, and now you see that they talk about it as a parallel threat. Um, they, they're going to turn to Israel even more, because it is, it is a, their aircraft carrier, but it's stationary. They have no place to go. They're there, and they have to join in these efforts, Israel, that is, because it's their security as well. And they've come to realize that more and more and see how much they have to offer. And with the new Mediterranean coalition, the gas form that was created that involves now more Europeans, the Prime Minister of Bulgaria told us this week that he wants he's going to be part of it. In fact, it was angry that he wasn't included. I think Romania wants to be included. And then you have the Gulf added to it. And President Sisi told me this years ago when I approached him first about joining the, the Mediterranean initiative. He said, and I will bring the Gulf. Now think of it. You've got to have the Gulf linked to the Mediterranean basis, they will become a, a, a regional coalition, a, a mini-NATO, even if it's not a military alliance at this point, but it will certainly have security implications. So I think they, that if they have, the more doubts they have about America, the more they're going to turn to Israel. As as Arab leaders have told me, it's our only hope against the enemy, and the enemy being Iran. And, and, and if those deals are being made privately or without a third party, then the U.S. administration has got to be nuts not to hop aboard and take credit for it. Right, that's essential. And they're, they're entitled to a lot right. of the credit for having created the climate for pressing a lot of these countries, the the coalitions that that uh, we see emerging. But they also look at the reality on the ground of an Iran that is facing internal dissension, collapse. You know, their their currency hit three hundred sixteen thousand reals to the dollar. It's a sixty percent decrease this year after a, a bigger decrease than that last year. And the um, you know the, there has been a feeling all along that American subs, you know uh, um, American administrations going back for for several maybe more than a decade two decades have generally been withdrawing from international commitments and uh, the concern is has been expressed for many years uh, about it that America is still the sole superpower in the world that can help. We see the others Russia, Turkey, Iran. Uh, and China coalescing where they need to, being more, much more aggressive, filling any void that they find, and you know establishing themselves. Whether it's in Africa, look at Libya, look at Nagorno-Karabakh, look at Yemen. You see, these are all international conflicts where Russia, Iran, or Turkey they end up on opposite sides or on the same side where it's convenient and mostly where it can oppose American presence, like in Syria, where you have the Astana process of the three of Iran, Russia, and Turkey. But I think that. Um, that this is a process 
and the horses have left the stable, more and more will join it as they see the benefits, and especially the economic benefits, but also security. Were there substantive meetings this week with the official UAE visit to Israel, or was mostly a pomp and circumstance? No, this was business related, and this is uh, they, they they've signed a series of accords. Uh, I know with Bahrain there were seven MOUs, memos of understanding in different areas, and um, the same with Israel. These delegations are, you know, of course. Uh, highly visible, but I think that there are real substantive components, and I've spoken to people from the Israel Export Institute from other places, and they tell me that things are, are really hopping, and as you know, uh, there are now, uh, I think, three or four rabbis in in the UAE, and uh, at least two synagogues, three, three congregations, I think, and as one UAE resident said to me, we have more rabbis than residents, but uh, but it isn't true, and uh, there are very distinguished people who, who are going. Rabbi Abadi now, a very distinguished Svidic uh, rabbi, is going, um, and, and uh, the kosher restaurant seems to be doing okay, and the catering businesses. So once COVID lifts, I, you can expect a flood of, uh, of tourism, of tourists both ways, but mostly, I think, to, to the UAE. So I think there's real tachlis to these deals, but also they see the, the increasing aggressiveness, Iran, and and the arms embargo having been lifted and their ability now to purchase. As they said, they're going to sell more than they purchase in weapons. But um, and the, the IRGC uh, threatened uh, both the United States and uh, and Israel and continues to threaten and say that they have developed certain new weapons and money a lot of money has been invested there, but frankly, it's not for foreign adventurism. It's to quell domestic unrest, which is very serious there. Hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tell me about this American delegation that went to Syria to try to free American prisoners. They went there, even though these are people who are designated you know, uh, on the terrorism list, uh, but to try and negotiate the release of Americans who are being held and... Uh, I think that every effort to save a life <clears throat> is important. The prisoners and, who are American citizens are recognized as terrorists? No. Who was recognized? No, the, the people that they're negotiating with, the ah, Syrian officials. Got it. It's okay. <laughs> so, so I'm right that it would be that, that it's unusual to think that that, uh, that that anybody could think that they could sit down with the Syrians at this point and negotiate a deal, but you're saying you got to do everything in your power to try. Well, they try, and uh, you have to see what the deal is. Uh, there's another interesting story, uh, development from Syria that got re- re- released in a uh, very limited way, but they supposedly 45,000 Syrians registered with the Russians at the Air Force Base in Latakia to go to Libya to fight in Libya as mercenaries. They had to be between 18 and 58. I think they get $1,000 a month if they're a guard and 3000 if they're combat duty. And they go for three months and come back for a month. But 45,000 people signed up because they're so desperate for the jobs and for the money that they're willing to go to Libya to be involved in that conflict. Boy, oh, boy. And that's uh, just part of the whole Russian takeover of the region? Is that how you would put it? And, and, well, it's, it's a sign of Russian influence. Russia... Um, it wants a foothold. They want to. They join with the others to drive America out. Uh, but Turkey also has taken a couple uh, six thousand to of the Syrian to uh, uh, mercenaries to to uh, Libya, and another twelve or fifteen hundred to Azeri uh, at the Nagar Karabakh front to to Azerbaijan. What can you tell us about this new Gaza terror tunnel that was discovered? 
it, it is very uh, sophisticated again. Big tunnel people have to understand these are not, you know, pipelines that they just crawl through. These are very sophisticated. Huge amounts of money are invested. It had been worked on for a long, long time. It did cross the border. Uh, but Israel, as you know, has installed this uh, below-the-ground uh, wall, uh, and this was very deep. They tried to dig under the wall, but the wall also has sensors, and I have actually seen it. It's very sophisticated, and they um, uh, detected the thing before it was finished, and now they're going to go about destroying it. Uh, but it shows that the that Hamas is continuing to divert both the cement but also the money to to this. You know, these things have air conditioning, electricity, communication systems, whatever in them. Uh, and the uh, you know the people suffer and they keep complaining. But in the meantime, you see how they divert both the um, what they promised to be used for construction and swore to everybody after Israel. You know. Allowed the shipment once again. That you see that they continue to divert and and what their real purpose is. It's been a while since we've heard about a terror tunnel near Gaza being discovered. I'm just wondering if they're fewer and far between at this point. They are because of the of the of the um, barriers that they have put up, which is almost complete. It cost Israel almost a billion dollars by the time it's done. So it's a big and expensive undertaking. But I think that till today, about 20 tunnels altogether, not just because of the fence, have been discovered. So you see that they look for points to penetrate, and it starts inside houses and schools and other things across the border. Uh, and it takes a long time because they have to go down, down very deep. We don't know if people die in the process and what happens because they don't obviously don't release any information on it. Wow. Finally, Malcolm, I, I think too many people are, are demanding that I ask you this. Uh, it, because of your political science background, frankly, and because you've been observing what goes on in government for so many decades, and I'm not trying to get you to, to condemn Joe Biden or, or do anything. I'm just trying to understand. Um, when you hear about this New York Post report, and and it and it looks like if the report is true, it looks like you know there's been a uh, a, a, a deal at some point uh, that the vice president, because of his the way he was involved, the way he manipulated his own foreign policy and that of the White House, he benefited financially from it. Simply tell me, not again generically, forget Biden for a second. Simply tell me, is this something that goes on all the time, and it's sort of everybody does it? And not to excuse it, but this is the way things happen to work in government. When someone's in power, they take advantage. Or if you were told that this story is true, it's such an, it's such an abomination and such an exception, and nobody would ever in government dare do something like this that it's really, really serious. What would you say? Well, I don't think it's a rule that people behave in that way. But, you know, in foreign governments, we see it. We know that... Uh bribery and um, people using influence and many heads of state, you know, lose their heads and lose their jobs over when it's discovered. But the vast majority of it is, doesn't get discovered. We see the cases now in Mexico and so many other places. The problem here is that nobody knows what's true anymore. You know, they they have a computer. People then say it's the Russians, it's this one, it's that one. And I understand people's skepticism and why they their sense of disbelief about uh, about this. The accusations go both ways. Right. And people, you know, recklessly can throw out a charge today. You know, a member of Congress can say something or others can say something that um, without substantiation. 
and generally there's no accountability then uh, later on for, for, for what is said. The charges, I think, are serious. They have to be investigated, but the we don't think it has much credibility with people because they're just so overloaded uh, already that they that you know they listen, yeah. they find it interesting and salacious, but I don't know that it shifts votes. We're so full of sound bites. We're so our our heads are packed with all of this stuff being thrown at us. I think you're right. I think people just at this point throw up their hands and have no idea who to believe at this point. Uh, and they don't hear any really cogent arguments one way or the other. All they hear is a lot of yelling and screaming and accusations. Um, and that's that. By the way, one other thing I wanted to point out before uh, before we wrap up. Ephraim Zuroff was on this week because a new book about the Lithuanian um, the contribution to the Holocaust. I think it's such an important message. We talk about messages to tell our children and grandchildren, Shabbos table or otherwise. I think it's a really important message. He opened up my eyes to this you know, m- more than I ever, had ever realized. Uh, Without average citizens in different places in Europe and places like Lithuania, uh, it it would be impossible to carry out uh, the mass murder of Jews to the degree that the Nazis led. And and often many of us, including myself, forget that. We always think that it's, you know, uh, organized operations and, you know, with plenty of historical documents and proof um, that was carried out by a specific group. Without tremendous accomplices... From average citizens, it would be impossible to do what they did, and it's a really important message to remember as we live our lives as Jews anywhere in this world. And the story, obviously, we can't go into in great detail now, but it's true in virtually every country. I mean, there were a few who saved the lives of Jews, but there were many more who were collaborators, who assisted. Uh, we just had the anniversary of Babi Yar, uh, and uh, I was I did a tape for them for the dedication ceremony. But we have to remember, that was a massacre by bullets. They killed individually thousands, tens of thousands of people, and it couldn't be done without the locals. And how many... Um, places. Father Dubois has found mass graves, which were executed by often by the locals uh, in, in, um, in Ukraine and other countries. You see that Poland doesn't allow you to mention that, that Poles were involved. You have to say that they're German concentration camps and the Germans did it, but they, they uh, criminalized uh, the charge because, and try to rewrite the history. But we have to confront history. It's not an accusation against current people, but it is a fact that we have to recognize and to, to honor those who rose above the moment and saved lives and uh, are acknowledged with Yad Vashem and elsewhere, but also to, to recognize those who collaborated and that the, what human nature can be and why we have to be on guard and why we take seriously any threat, any manifestation of anti-Semitism. And today with the Internet, it can be spread much faster, more effectively, and in ways that's very hard to detect and to control. Yeah, geopolitical atmospheres were created by leaders in the past, but now, as you just said, social media could do that in in literally minutes if uh, people wanted to. So you got to be very wary of it, to say the least. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Have we'll a speak, good Shabbos. Speak everybody. again next week. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday mornings. 7.40 a.m. with the weekly update here at JM in the a.m. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. <clears throat> Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pasha's Noach. We are moving. Pasha's Noach, we cover the second 
thousand years of civilization. We go from Noah to Avraham, and there, while there are no actual mitzvos of the six thirteen in Parshas Noah, there are so many, so many real, powerful lessons that we can learn from this parsha, and I'd like to just share one with you in a moment. There are two major happenings in the parsha. The first, more than probably half the parsha, deals with the door Hamabul, the generation of the flood that unfortunately was destroyed, washed out, and the second part of the parsha, towards the end, in chapter 11, we find the door Flaga, the generation that uh, rebuild against Hashem, wanting to build a uh, city and a tower to, number one, fight against Hashem up in the heavens, to put supports on the heavens so that every 1656 years when they saw, that's when the first flood came, well, the next flood would come that time. They attributed all to chance, all to, quote, nature, not realizing that it's all Kodesh Baruch Hu. Interesting, before we focus on the early part of the parasha, just take a look for a moment. The door Hamabul, the generation of the flood, whereby the Torah tells us what was their problem. But Himaleha Oretz Chamas. The earth was filled, filled with violence, robbery. Hashem says, man cannot live with man. <clears throat> the world must be destroyed. The door haflaga, the generation of the dispersion, man was getting along very well with man. It was only <clears throat> an affront against Hashem. When it's an affront against Hashem, <clears throat> that Hashem can tolerate, therefore He disperses them. He confounds their languages, they don't understand one another, people begin to, quote, think for themselves, ah, that's when Avram Avinu can come on the scene. Okay, I'd like to take a fresh look at the very beginning of Pasha's Noach and ask a very basic question. I do not, God forbid, want to take away anything from the Torah, not a single letter. But there is, in the modern technological term, cut and paste. What does that mean? I want to take something which is maybe a little bit later and put it a little bit earlier. If you open your Chumash and you follow the flow, what are we told? Hashem begins by, unfortunately, putting out in front of us that, as we mentioned a moment ago, the land was full of violence, and therefore, and that's repeated twice, and therefore, God says, I have to destroy the earth. Then what? Then, interestingly, He doesn't tell us how He's going to destroy it. He says to Noah, in Pasuk Yudalid, Make for yourself an ark. And the Torah then goes on to devote three verses 
to the dimensions and the compartments of the ark. Verse 14, verse 15, and 16. Okay? And only after that, that he's told him to make an ark, does Hashem tell him how he is going to destroy the world, namely by bringing a flood of waters. Wait a second. Should not logic have dictated? Hashem should have said verse 17 first, namely, I have to destroy the world. I'm going to destroy it with a flood. And then afterwards to say to Noah, that which we find in 14, 15, 16, this is what you should do to build the ark. It's a very interesting question. The late Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zechat Tzadik Levracha, has a very powerful insight into this verse. And basically, if I'm understanding the Rebbe correctly, the Rebbe is saying, number one, that it didn't have to be that way. Namely, Hashem says, I'm going to destroy. You make a teva. You make an ark. And by your making an ark, before I even pronounce the words, ani hinani mevi mabul, before I even pronounce the words that I'm going to be a flood, no, the people are going to ask you, hey Noah, what are you doing? Ah, you're going to say, look here, Hashem is upset with mankind. Hashem says you better change your ways. And therefore, Noah is to build the ark even before Hashem tells him that there's going to be a flood. Moreover, Rashi raises the question, namely, that Harbe Rebach Bat Solo Lefanov. There are many ways that Hashem could have saved Noah. Why did he impose on Noah to build the Teva? What does it mean when he says in verse 14, Make for yourself. What's this make for yourself? Why couldn't he say, Make an ark? And interestingly, Rashi goes on to say, that the people of the generation should see that Noah was engaged in this for 120 years. You know what that means, my friend? That every nail, every plank, every aspect of the ark was built by Noah himself. Why couldn't Noah hire a whole crew of workers and in within a month's time the whole thing would have... No, Hashem wants him to do it. And this points out the Rebbe is a very powerful idea. And that is that at different times, different persons are given different responsibilities and they can change the world. They can change, in this case here, the bigger world. Had Noah only spoken out to the people as they were looking at this gradual growth of this ark over 120 years, no, what are you doing? Ah, if you don't shape up, Hashem is going to destroy the world. Had Noah gone out to the people and campaigned on behalf of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the whole world would have been different. And we find so many situations whereby 
in our history. There could have been plan A, and there's plan B. There could have been Lechatzchila, the preferable, and there's the acceptable. We could have been in Gan Eden, had Odom not eaten. We could have been spectators at Sinai, had the Jewish people not risen to the occasion and said, wait a second, we don't want to be spectators. Oh, you want prophecy? Then you have to prepare three days, I'll take you Alisha, and then guess what? We experience prophecy at that time, like Moshe Rabbeinu, literally pe'el peh. The Jewish people were, quote, oversleeping because they were expecting to get the prophecy in a dream. And what does Moshe do? Wake up, wake up, he says to the people. And that's why we have that, commemorate this by staying awake all Shavuos night. They overslept because they were expecting the prophecy to come in a dream. And Hashem does it to them, wow, in person. And therefore our attachment to Torah is so strong to this very day because our grandparents all the way back, they personally, not one man, Moshe, but they personally, another situation where man and his perspective can change history. So here too, Noah had that opportunity, and unfortunately, as we know, Noah blew it. And that's why, according to the Zohar, the floodwaters are called Me Noah. And the Zohar says it's because, unfortunately, Noah was partially responsible for the flood because he did not speak out. And so, I really believe that there is a special opportunity knocking on our door today. We have to ask ourselves, and nobody knows, but clearly we're living in very special times. We're living in a pandemic. There's got to be a reason for it. And let's take a look at what's going to be in two weeks, namely by Avram Avinu. Now, we have to believe that Avram Avinu did chesed all his life. As the Torah tells us, towards the end of Ayera, Vayita Eshel Biver Sheva. Avram Avinu planted an Eshel tree. What does that mean? Achilo Shesiolino. He had an inn. And people were able to come and go. He fed them. He gave them a pace to the lodge. And when they thanked him, he said, No, no, don't thank me. Thank Hashem. So what did Avram do? Avram was reaching out and touching his generation which unfortunately Noah did not do. But yet we don't find that in the merit of Avraham and his chesed, the Jewish people merited various different um, blessings from Hashem, except for that one time at the very beginning of Parshas Vayera, whereby, oh, the Medrash teach us that those things which Avraham did by himself then his descendants were privileged to have directly from God. And so Hashem rains down from the heaven personally, man from the heaven, because Avram Avinu personally gave bread to the, um, to the guests. And that which was done through a shaliach, here too was done through an emissary. Why? So there is a very powerful statement. In Avos to Rav Nasan, chapter 3, paragraph 6, whereby we're taught, Tov loli adam, dover echad bitsa'ar, mimeya berevach. We don't pick and choose 
the circumstances to do our mitzvos. But if you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah at a more challenging time, and you succeed in doing that mitzvah and rising to the occasion, that's worth more than a hundred opportunities of doing mitzvah when it was not in challenging time. We all agree that we're living today in very challenging times. And therefore, halavai, we use this opportunity to rise to the occasion. If we are more at home, confined to our homes during this time, stop. Maybe it is because it's that opportunity to work on shalom bayis, to make sure that the entire environment in the home is much more loving. Perhaps it's that opportunity to work harder on the relationship with our children, to appreciate that which we don't have, to appreciate the Beisach Knesses, to realize that unfortunately, maybe when we were in the Beisach Knesses, unfortunately, I might have been there physically, but maybe I was too distracted on my phone with my fellow, and that unfortunately, I did not utilize the Beisach Knesses in the way that I could have, should have. To have another appreciation at Smachot, we get phone calls all the time from people, I wish I could invite you. And what do we say? What are you, crazy? Come on. No, I can only have 50 people. I can only have 100 people, 50 from my side, whatever it is, etc. V'chulu, v'chulu. And what does that mean? It means that our whole understanding, guess what? The wedding took place with only 50 people. And we don't need a wedding of 500 people. And we don't need to spend and to spend and to spend. It helps us put things into the right perspective. And so, Parshas Noach, with the what appears to be the inverted order, Hashem doesn't tell him that he's going to bring a flood until after he tells him to build the ark. The idea is that maybe, not maybe, my friends, the flood didn't have to happen. Had the people only risen to the occasion, had the people, had Noach only grabbed the opportunity to quote-unquote speak out and not just touch someone, but to touch so many, he could have changed history forever. And this opportunity, I really believe, is knocking at each and every one of our doors to see how we can find the silver lining in this most challenging and difficult times. Shabbat Shalom to all.
J.M. in the A.M. A gentleman who's going to join us this coming week to talk about a brand new album. That's Aton Katz here at J.M. in the A.M. Uh, I've offered him Tuesday. If that works out, then we'll speak with him Tuesday about the brand new album with a whole bunch of great Kalbach selections. Aton Katz here at J.M. in the A.M. Uh, before that, Leviathan, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Parsha's Noach with candle lighting at 543. 543 is your candle lighting in New York. Um, we'll bench Bahab tomorrow. If you're not familiar with that, consult with your local rabbi. Daylight savings time will end in Israel tomorrow night. Daylight savings time will end in Israel tomorrow night. So for a couple of weeks, it'll be a six-hour time difference between us here in New York and our brethren in Israel. Six-hour difference starting Sunday for a couple of weeks as daylight savings time will end in Israel early uh, Sunday morning. Want to wish a mazel tov to um, Jonathan Markowitz, Cheryl and Mendy Markowitz, Gail and Itzy Weintraub, and the extended Markowitz, Weintraub, and Siegel families, and of course the Benson family as well. Avital Benson and Jonathan Markowitz getting married, Bezrat Hashem, this coming Sunday. We say Mazal Tov to the Bensons of New York City. Uh, Mazal Tov to the Markowitzes of Teaneck, and we're looking forward to the big Ufruf celebration for Jonathan this Shabbos Parshas Noach. Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, one of our listeners posted on the app, Mazel Tov to Susan and Shia Burstein of Israel on the marriage of their son Oren to Amuna. May their lives be as colorful as a rainbow. Nice uh, nice Parsha's Noach reference there. <laughs> Twelve minutes before <laughs> before 9 o'clock, I want to thank everybody who had a role in last night's open mic session with the Yankee legend Ron Bloomberg. I want to thank... Um, Ralph Rosenbaum and everybody at Rosenbaum Financial Services, TaxCPA2.com, uh, for sponsoring the event. I want to thank my official co-host, although neither of us did much hosting, frankly, uh, Steve Adelsberg. And, of course, a big thank you to Ronnie Bloomberg, author of Designated Hebrew. Uh, we highly recommend the book. It was quite a Zoom session. was very... Um, was very happy that some of our listeners participated with some great Ron Bloomberg stories. And um, it was really a fun night. Special surprise from David Fishoff, who zoomed in from California, told a great Ron Bloomberg story. It was really nice. So, um, again, a very su successful event. And a big thank you to everybody involved. Much appreciated. 63 degrees, mostly cloudy, with a high temperature of 68 um, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world, world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better-for-you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, and reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. Visit the website at kosherdogs.net. Try A&H today. And now at the beginning of 5781, it's a great opportunity to become a mentor or, um, or a partner in the Partners in Torah system. If you know someone in your family or at work who wants to explore more about uh, our Jewish heritage, suggest partnersintorah.org, partnersintorah.org, uh, or you can uh, call 1-800-STUDY-42, 1-800-STUDY, the number four and then the number two. 
and um, it'll be an opportunity to incorporate Torah study with a partner and enrich your life. Partnersintorah.org. Again, that's partnersintorah.org. Check it out. We highly recommend it. More coming up. Here's Shalshelis Jr.
Chalchelis Jr. Coming up right after JM the AM, a brand new edition of Table for Two with Naomi Nachman, followed by Mark Zomik and the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix. That is all happening right after JM and the AM. So Naomi Nachman, a brand new edition of Table for Two, and then Mark Zomik and the uh, Arab Shabbos show brought to you by, yeah, that's what I should have said, Arab Shabbos show. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Time to take a job is with Journeys at JM in the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a so throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find the gift That's waiting there for you Oh, it's time to say good job Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos, well in. Throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there for you Oh, it's time to say good Shabbos Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine man and his creator is a very special sign
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard of listeners, sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network, and of course, the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday here at JM in the AM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Naomi Nachman's next brand new edition of Table for Two, 10 o'clock for the Arab Shabbos show, brought to you by a wonderful people like Kedem, pre- uh, presented by Mark Zamek. Arab Shabbos music mix all day long. And, of course, the final hour at a quarter to five Eastern time. You'll hear an amazing hour to get you into Shabbos, all brought to you by Kedem and uh, compiled by the one and only Mark Zamek. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, single with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. On Sunday, it's Matis with JM Sunday live starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in. And um, I speak to you next, please, God, on Monday morning. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Till next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.